Good morning again. Um, thanks for joining us on this weird day. We're at the, uh, the midway point in the series. I pray you're able to follow along wherever you're at. Um, we're right kind of in the middle of this series we're calling Revival in the Ruin. Uh, we're working through the prophets Habakkuk and Zephaniah uh, who, who are living in the middle of a culture that is in decay. Uh, there's wickedness within God's people. There's threat um, from outside forces that are intent on destruction. And here in the midst of this crushing reality, do we see these two prophets, Habakkuk and Zephaniah? And the question we're kind of asking as we're going through that is, what does hope look like in that reality? That's one of the questions we're asking as we look at Habakkuk chapter 3 today. Hope in hard circumstances and recognizing it's not easy to find, but we're remembering God's past faithfulness, remembering uh, what he's already done and what he's already said and holding on to the, the promises yet to be fulfilled in the future is intended to stir hearts of faith. And then that springs forth from mouths in hopeful praise. That's what we're looking at today. So we're looking at the, the entire third chapter of Habakkuk today. So grab your Bibles if you have them and turn to Habakkuk chapter three. And as you're turning there, um, remember this, Habakkuk is complaining of the wickedness in Judah. He's complaining of the idolatry um, that has seeped into the culture, that has seeped into God's people. And he's worried and complaining about the army that's at their doorstep, Babylon, who's looking to destroy them. So he's complained to the Lord. Habakkuk has complained and he's asked, Lord, why aren't you doing anything? about the wickedness that's all around? Why aren't you doing anything about the idolatry and the surrounding nations and the threat? And he says, well, I'm already raising up the Babylonians to, to carry out discipline for my people. And then Habakkuk, hearing God's answer, responds with, hold on a second, wait, how can it be, how can you use a nation that is more wicked than we are to bring justice? That doesn't make sense to him. And the Lord responds again, and he says to Habakkuk and to us that he is not short on justice. As it relates to Babylon, that God will always be just, that he will deal with their wickedness, and that he will always remember his promise to his people to be faithful. So that's where we'll pick up Habakkuk today, the exchange between Habakkuk and God, Habakkuk chapter 3. This is his final response, or the, the ending to his back and forth Let's read it together. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. This is the word of the Lord for us today. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to the Shigunot. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens. And the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there, was, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. 
Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the head of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. This is the word of the Lord for us today that does not and will not fail. At the open of Habakkuk chapter 3, we're told it's a prayer, and it reads like a psalm. In fact, it's one of the only places outside of the psalms where we have this kind of poetic language, complete with instructions to the choir master, what kind of instruments are to be used, and the use of the word selah as a liturgical or musical term, likely one for pause and reflection. There are many parallels between this chapter and psalms like Psalm 77 and Psalm 18. These are psalms of lament that end with hope. What's interesting is this. After all that God has told Habakkuk about what he's going to do, Habakkuk's response is praise. He is hopeful in the midst of difficult circumstances and inevitable grief. And this is what I hope to glean from this chapter a little bit, is how to find this kind of hope so that in the midst of pain, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of ruin, what comes out of our mouth is praise. We'll read through and pick apart Habakkuk's psalm here. He opens with a prayer, as we said, asking God to be merciful according to his promise. And then he recalls God's past faithfulness as the foundation for his profession of faith. So he prays according to God's promise. He remembers God's past faithfulness, and that results in a profession of faith, of praise. He prays, he remembers God's past faithfulness, and that results in a profession of faith and praise. Look at me, uh, look with me at verse 2, Habakkuk's prayers. He starts, O Lord, I have Heard the report of you in your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk says, Lord, I, I see what you're doing. 
He confesses a, a holy fear, a reverence, awe. It's where we get the word awesome, right? Oh Lord, do I fear. And then he says, in the midst of years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. He's asking God to do in his people what he has done before and what he has promised to do again. We'll get into the detail in a second. But Habakkuk is basically saying, do your work, Lord. Revive your work. Make it known. Do your work in your people. And Habakkuk says, in the midst of years. Now, it's likely that the language here isn't isn't, uh, specific on purpose. He's asking God, in general, to not forget his promises in the midst of this season. No matter how long it lasts, in wrath, in judgment, in righteous anger, remember compassion. Remember your mercy. This is covenantal language that Habakkuk is using. See, God has established a covenant with his people, and those covenants have conditions, right? Blessings for obedience and judgments for disobedience. And baked into this covenant between God and his people is this idea of compassion, of mercy, that God would always have compassion on his children. When they would stray, he would correct them. But his anger wouldn't last forever. He won't always chide. He won't always discipline. He will discipline the ones he loves, but it will not last forever. The Lord has compassion on his people. It's baked into this covenant relationship. And Habakkuk seems to be leaning into this reality that the Lord is right in his justice. The Lord is right also in his mercy. Oh Lord, he's praying, renew your people, make your righteousness and your works known among us again. And as you act, as you carry out what you've said you will do, remember mercy. What a great sentence to open with, this this prayer, right? And then from verses 3 through 15, Habakkuk undertakes this great unpacking of God's proven faithfulness to his people. Particularly, are the references to creation, to God's covenant with Moses that came right after God's rescue of his people from Egypt where they were enslaved. This is the remembering God's past faithfulness. Look at verses 3 and 4. The language here of fire and smoke. This idea that the Lord came from Mount Paran. This shows up in Deuteronomy chapter 33 where Moses is recounting the Lord's faithfulness. He's recounting to God's people before he uh, dies and everyone else goes into the promised land. Moses is saying, remember, God came to us and rescued us and established a covenant with us. All this language of, of the brightness and splendor of the glory of the Lord and flashing like lightning. It has echoes of God's interaction with his people on Mount Sinai when he gave them the law and established them as he pulled them from Egypt. Verse 5 speaks of plagues and pestilence, which is a flashback to what happened in Egypt, how God brought all these things to bear, plagues and pestilence and and, uh, the the sun darkening and uh, locusts and frogs and boils and the death of the firstborn, all this 
to loosen the grip that Pharaoh had on God's people. Things like verse 6, look back and look up at God as creator. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. It speaks to God as creator who created all things and holds all things together. Verse 7, he goes on to recount reminder after reminder of God's mighty work. And this goes on and on through verses 8 and 9 and 10 and 11. History of Israel over and over and over again. His arm was working salvation for his people. It was his power on display to strike down armies, to hold back rivers, to hold back the sun and the moon. It wasn't just King Cushan Rishathim, the king of Mesopotamia, who routed Israel. It was God who brought about that judgment. It wasn't just Joshua and his armies who routed the kingdoms all around them. It was the hand of the Lord that brought the nations to their knees. It was the hand of the Lord that piled up the waters of the Red Sea and the Jordan River. It was the Lord who worked salvation for his people. That is what Habakkuk is recounting. In fact, the cross-references, I I encourage you, if if you have some cross-references in your Bible, and for this section, there are a bunch, everywhere from verse 3 all the way through verse 16, 15, Tons of cross-references to times in the judges, times in Israel's history, where it's going back to and saying, remember, this is what God has done in saving us, in protecting us, in working for our salvation. Look at verses 12 through 15. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. The, the footnotes in my Bible say the, uh, oh, look, he goes on, sorry. Verse, uh, verse 15, it says, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. Uh, he continues, you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. What that phrase means in the Hebrew is a little uncertain. But the visual is striking. The Lord takes on his fiercest enemy and crushes his head and leaves him bare and naked. That is exposed, helpless. He is done. He is no match for God. And there's some really great imagery here looking back to Genesis chapter 3 where he says you crushed the head of the house of the wicked. There's a promise in Genesis 3 that the one who comes, the Messiah to come, will crush the head of the serpent. The Lord works salvation for his people. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 26, Moses says this, There is none like God who rides through the heavens to your help through the skies in his majesty. See, there is a humble, awe-filled confession here. O Lord, I have heard of you. Renew this in your people. Revive us and revive your work in us. Now, if this is a prayer and a psalm, let me ask this question. Do our prayers sound like this? Are they humble? Do they desire revival? Start with me, Lord, 
See, Habakkuk is remembering and recounting all the faithfulness of the Lord. Are we able to identify all the ways the Lord has been incredibly faithful to us? Or, because of our short attention spans, do we tend to fall victim to the what-have-you-done-for-me-lately approach? Because how we remember informs both our prayers and our praise. It, it gives something uh, tangible expression to what we say we believe. So Habakkuk prays and he recounts the past faithfulness, remembers the past faithfulness of God. And look, let's look at how that then spills out into a profession of faith. Verse 16, he says, I hear all of this, I hear all of what you're doing, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Did you catch that? There is a weary awe to Habakkuk's faith. And I think this tells us something very important that this kind of faith that we're talking about is not simple and it's not an easy answer. This isn't, life is hard, but it's okay. God is good. Buck up. That's, that's not what's happening here. No, no. This kind of faith looks long and deep at everything wrong. And as we remember all of God's proven love, all of his proven faithfulness, then and only then are we enabled to say, God is good. He is enough. This isn't a slap-on band-aid. This is spiritual surgery for our souls. Look at verse 17. Oh, that my heart and your hearts would spill over like this. Habakkuk says this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. All that the people need from their wants, like figs and uh, grapes for wine, all the way to the flocks of sheep and herds of cattle for clothing and for food. Even though the coming destruction from Babylon will literally demolish the entire country, the economy, the people, it will undo generations of progress. Verse 17. Yet, verse 18. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This is a profession of faith. In the midst of disaster and ruin, Habakkuk says, I will trust in the goodness and faithfulness of God. He goes on, verse 19. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. There is a sureness, a surety to the promise that God will rescue, that he will restore, that his people will be with him, that he will care for them, that they will be free from their bondage and they will be victorious over their enemies. This is what it looks like for the righteous to live by faith. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. 
See, Habakkuk is not guaranteed that in his lifetime he will taste this freedom. Babylon may come like a flood and he might get wiped out. He may live in a barren wasteland. He might be carried off into slavery. He might die and be buried in a mass grave. But he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And I have to ask, how is this possible? See, Habakkuk's faith in God is not just greater than his trial. I think he's able to look at all of his ruin through the lens of God's faithfulness. It's not, is my faith stronger than? It's that God is faithful, therefore I'm looking at all the brokenness and ruin around me through that lens. Here's what it looks like for us. You and I are invited to view all of our lives through the lens of God the Father's remarkable and undeserved grace to us in Christ Jesus, the eternal Son. Paul says to the church in Corinth, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, he says this, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in verse 8 that we are afflicted in every way, which fits the context of Habakkuk, fits the context of 2020. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. And so even though all this is happening, death and evil and sin and brokenness and ruin are all around, verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Listen to me. He keeps going. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal Paul goes on in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians with the reminder that even though our earthly home might be destroyed, we know that we have an eternal dwelling that is without decay and will not be destroyed. It cannot be destroyed. And the guarantee, the guarantee we have that this promise is sure is that he has given us his very own spirit. The Holy Spirit lives and dwells within the believer as a guarantee, as a down payment as a proof that God will be faithful to fulfill his promise and bring us all the way to the end. The reality is this year has been hard. And if we're honest and we step back and give a little bit of perspective, life is hard. Life is often hard. We are often called to bear some remarkably challenging things. And not as a pat answer, not as a, as a cliche, because we don't want to deal with hard situations, but there is a real anchor for our souls in the midst of ruin. God has shown his faithfulness over and over and over again. God desires to revive us when our hearts are cold, when our hearts are weary. 
He desires and delights to renew his work in us and through us, that his name might be known, that others may hear of the hope that can be had because God is the faithful one. And God invites us to to take on, to believe in his past faithfulness, to read again of his promises, to look at Jesus as the embodiment of the justice and mercy of God and in light of him, by faith in him, praise the Lord in the midst of ruin. So the encouragement today isn't to just move on and fake it and pretend, but it is to praise the Lord in the midst of ruin, even when we're waiting, even when the answer hasn't yet come, because God has shown himself to be remarkably, immeasurably faithful. And so his promises are sure. I pray our hearts will grow with faith and our mouths will be unleashed with praise. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you love us so completely in Jesus. We thank you that you indeed are faithful. You indeed are good. Would you give us eyes to see where we don't often see? Would you give us hearts that trust in you in the midst of challenging circumstances in the midst of the ruin would you help our hearts and our mouths to rejoice we confess we cannot produce this ourselves we believe you are good help our unbelief grow faith and praise in us and from us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite you to respond wherever you're at, whatever you're listening to. Um, I'd like to invite you to respond by joining in the words of the song we're going to sing. That our, our mouths would follow our hearts towards belief in God's faithfulness, profession of faith, and praise.